Welcome to the Volpreneur Podcast channel. My special guest today is Rahul Mendez, who's a business strategic coach and consultant, and he's trained hundreds of entrepreneurs through live seminars, online programs, and private masterminds. He's played a key part in helping scale businesses and has overseen hundreds of online advertising campaigns. His work has positively impacted the lives of his clients and his teams to help him help them flourish. He lives in San Diego, one of my favorite places in the world, and loving his life with his family. While he's not working and drinking homemade brewed coffee, where's my coffee? Um, he's serving his community in church and training for Crazy Obstacle Course Race, okay, or simply surfing. Welcome, Rahul. It's really great to have you today. Doing pretty good, John. How you been? Oh, pretty good. Um, busy as ever. So uh, it's good, um, good to be busy, right? <laughs> busy is good. <laughs> Crazy Obstacle Course Race. What exactly is that? Well, it just depends on what uh, your cup of tea is for that weekend, but uh, typically just the Tough Mudder. It's right. like an eight-mile, 25-course obstacle race, and it's pretty fun. The only thing I worry about when you run is you've got to, run, you've got to get back. <laughs> <laughs> well, they, they make it a loop, so you'll, you'll start in the same spot and in the same area. Oh, so. that's not so bad then. <laughs> not too bad. <laughs> yeah, so that's why I play squash because there's only short distances. You haven't got to get too far. <laughs> the one area, yeah, yeah. It depends yeah. On, again, cup of tea. So today we're going to talk about um, your book. That um, mostly because we're basically doing book launch soon, and we want to talk about your book and a little bit of background as to why you wrote the book and that kind of stuff. Um, so uh, let's. Have you got a copy of the book there? You can show the show on video. Yeah, it's actually here. Okay. Oh, okay. Well, in the background, strategically paste in the background. Very good. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so basically, it's designed as productive profits, right? So basically, how to how to business make profit? Because that's one of the things that I think in businesses that they don't really focus on, and you probably find it with your clients too, is that they focus on revenues, but necessarily profits is a whole different ballgame, right? Well, yeah, it's a twofold game, right? It's how do you design the business that not just increases the profits for what you can do in your business, but also how you can expand the impact that your business actually creates. Mm-hmm through the actual revenue generating activities that you do. Right. And so um, why did you write the book in the first place? Is there a big reason for, you know, is there something that was burning inside you to write this book or is it more of a strategic thing? Like a lot of people write books to obviously get themselves noticed in the marketplace, which is a great thing to do. Is that... Um, I think it was two reasons. To There's two main reasons. The first is when I'm working with clients one-on-one, like you have that interaction and I know that I can only be so involved with particular clients and I can only help a handful maybe in my lifetime. So I wanted to be able to have like the action steps A through Z and exactly what I do with clients in a book format. And I kind of gave away not too much, but almost everything in the actual book. Like this is the step-by-step. These are the action maps this is how you do it. And then also the second is strategic also just to have this as, you know, a capstone that even if they can't work with me or even if I am unable to reach that business or, you know, it's a client, they, that book will still be able to, to support them and help them. Mm. And that's interesting I um, talk about that because, I mean, a lot of times I've done and pretty much I think all the five books I've done has all been around trying to create a blueprint. So that it's almost like it's, it's for me in, in, in terms of what I'm talking <laughs> in a conversation with the clients. I want to create this blueprint so I actually don't have to keep saying the same things over and over again, right? Yeah, it's great to follow. Even when I have the book or I'm following it with a client, I'm like, this is really good. I should take notes in my own book to help the client. <laughs> you hit your own dog food, we call it. <laughs> you got to do it. You've got to do yeah. it no other way. Yeah. So um, in terms of, um, I guess, what, what do you think is the core thing that most people like, I guess you want to talk a secret or whatever. What, what do you think the core thing 
that people mistake or make mistakes with them when it comes to this kind of area? Well, I mean, there's there's a lot of different business mistakes, I guess, that can happen. It's not about that. We're all going to make mistakes. It's how you you know move past those. But I think to dive a little deeper, it's it's overthinking certain areas of the business or not thinking thoroughly when making strategic decisions or when expanding the business because you can get to a certain level of success and be pretty well off, right? But when you're trying to get to a next level or a, um, a new stage in your business growth, um, typically the graphics that I use in the book are you know a new baseline. So you've had success and then now you're at a new baseline, kind of like a new peak. And from there, you can see the valley from a different vantage point. But if you want to keep growing from that peak, Typically, it depends on the, the infrastructure of the company that you currently have, if it can support, support further growth, or if continuing to growth will crumble the success that you had or make it go backwards. So it's kind of making sure that businesses have a solid foundation to grow on, not only to have a new baseline, but also to expand further. And that can be in their own business or in other ventures or in different places to invest their time or energy. Right. So um, what's the, quite the key indicator, do you think? In, like if you see your business, what, what do you think the size of the business should be to sort of like consider, um, you know, changing things in terms of, is there a trigger point, do you think, in terms of where businesses should be? I think uh, the trigger point's anywhere between one and three million right. um, annual revenue. From there, if you want to grow to a $5 million company, you have to have certain things in place in order for the team to work succinctly for you to work on your 80-20s is what I call them, the highest leverage activities in your business. If you want to hit to eight figures plus and even sell the business or have strategic uh, mergers or acquisitions or whatever your, your strategy or goal is, you have to have a certain set of uh, ingredients or things in place for the business to actually work and not have it just run by your own efforts. So, um, and it was interesting, I was talking, looking in the book about talking about systems, right? Building systems around your business. Mm-hmm. And um, this is probably one, one of my key things I like to do is I build that system out because I think if you can uh, have a situation where you've got a someone that's got a procedural to do in their business, then you can actually make sure that they do it properly and it's and it's done right, well. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think? The what in your opinion? What do you think the first area of the business should be systemized or, or create systems around? That's a great question. I think the main area is going to be if you're a service-based business, how you directly you know service your actual customers. Typically, there's a lot of redundancies or things that can be streamlined there. If you're an e-commerce business, I think the same same areas, like how do you deliver the product or a better customer experience to your customers better, as well as the internal customer support. So client facing first, and then from there, we can look into the sales side of the business. And then from there, start optimizing other areas that need tweaking or enhancements. Right. Okay. So I was, I was looking at your book and talking about something called an evergreen flow. What, what's exactly that? So an evergreen flow in the book. Uh, so that's what I call a uh, pretty much a one-page SOP. So in that one-page SOP, we can have a visual diagram for. What's an SOP page. for the people who are dumb out there? <laughs> standard standard operating yeah, procedure. Cool. A good question. <laughs> a good question. Yeah. So typically, what happens is that when we have uh, global teams and we're working remote, uh, I work with remote teams, helping them grow, you know, to double or triple in size. Uh, with those teams, though, there's a lot of communication, a lot of drop-off in communication. So how can you make sure that one communication piece that you send out makes sense, the other party receives it, and the other party takes action on it the way that you intended? So I broke down a key communi- communication piece being an evergreen flow, 
which is like a visual overview of any aspect or action that you take in your company, strategically breaking that down in, in a series of phases and showing where that particular individual plays a role in the overarching, you know, actions for that company. Okay. So with an SOP, like, and I've seen lots of different SOP, you know, attempts, I guess, in some situations, but what, should they be huge, long documents? Should they be something that's really, really detailed? Is it something that, you know, like, I think most people don't write them because they think it's going to be hard and they're not going to do it. And so they, and one of the things that I noticed and what I've tried, and I don't think I've ever successfully done this, is that I've always taken a new staff member and got them to document their their business, what they do. And they never do it. Yeah, because you usually have to give them the tools on how to do it. And that's why I wanted to make it super easy with a one page SOP. I'm not, I've had those 79 page documents where like, this is how you do everything in the company. Mm. And the document takes forever to load because it's 79 pages. When you're searching for something, you don't know where it is. So essentially what I'm doing is taking the the complex, the very difficult, the things that people don't do because they don't know how to do it and they fear it, just putting it into one page, which is with a simple outline. And that simple outline can be communicated across multiple teams and multiple time zones and getting the point across and the right actions across. Mm-hmm. From there, you can create trainings, follow-ups, and accountability to make sure that it's being done right. But that's why I condensed it all into a simple one-pager. So for let's say for this podcast, right, for podcast production, you can make a one-pager showing this is how it's done, this is who does it, this is the expectations, following you know, the protocol with a book. And whoever you hand this off to can go ahead and execute it and it'll be correct, you know, obviously with some training most of the time. And I think that's the danger is that, you know, sometimes people try and make the SOP the training document. Oh, yeah. In some respect. <laughs> no. I mean, like it went up so, it gets so long that they've stopped following it or whatever. And then and you're in a situation where, you know, you, it's too hard to manage then, right? Yeah. The one downfall with training is, is I, what I've seen is for entrepreneurs to believe that training is one and done. And that's never the case. Repetition is the mother of all skill. Yeah. If you want someone to learn something, teach it first, simple understanding, and then repeat it. What other habits can reinforce that training? Mm. What other trainings can you do? How can you continually reinforce that, that training or that behavior over time without overwhelming with like hours and hours of training? And I think the thing too is that, you know, some people, I think, fear writing out their own procedures in some space space because they think they're going to lose their job, <laughs> right? <laughs> but just, you know, like I think there's a there's a big sort of impact in that. And I think the other thing too is that, um, you know, if you can get that nice one simple process, but I see a lot of small, a lot of entrepreneurs probably in the sub one million mark where they do lots of things mm-hmm. and they're changing all the time and they're running out to the next pretty shiny thing. It's very difficult to proceduralize a business like that because you end up, you know, you're suddenly offering a new service next week that you didn't have the week before. And I think if you can't scale it, then you shouldn't do it at the end of the day. If you start something that you can't, you know, automate and you can't, um, you know, scale up that offer, then you're really only just, you know, pushing at things. That's true. And I, and I mean, a few points on that. That's why the, the first chapter in the book is actually focusing on your core why. Mm-hmm. What are you called to? So when you focus on that, your call to responsibilities, you focus on the things that you need to accomplish as well as you, you have to get out of your own way and out of your own fear to focus and really say, in my business, what am I really called to accomplish and called to do? Now, when you have that clarity, now you know you have a direction that you're walking in and we set a framework and a strategy where you can actually develop almost like a, a fail-proof plan. You know, no, no plan is truly fail-proof. We try to manipulate the we try to leverage everything to work in your favor with this strategy, but this is a long-term strategy. And if you look at business as a whole, 
you know, you might change your offers as you're testing if you're still, you know, in the testing phase. But there's still some principles in the business that need frameworks and things to be dialed in. Like there's always a principles or anat- like an anatomy of the body. The body will always have bone. The body will always have blood cells, nerve cells, etc. Uh, the way that you, you know, work out might be different, but the principles will always be there. Yeah, and I think that's the thing. It's a basic business principle. So as soon as you just, I think you've got to know the rules to break the rules, right? And I think <laughs> yeah. um, <laughs> a lot of times people break the rules without even thinking about it. So, um, I mean... I've got a client at the moment that emailed me today and says, oh, I want to try a whole new different thing on Facebook, stop posting everything, you know, and I'm thinking, well, is this the next pretty shiny thing? Now we've got this whole process down, down pad and now you want to go and change it. Is there a mm-hmm. reason for doing that? Or is it just something you just grafted to try and grab something? And I think that's the, the danger in that sort of too, you're too flexible in that sort of business. Mm-hmm. Um, it was interesting. A wise man once told me, I don't know whether you agree with it or not, but he said the first person you should, en- you should employ if you're employing people in your business is a, is a general manager, someone who hires everybody else and manages everyone else. And I thought that was an interesting kind of approach rather than hiring like a VA or something like that, which most people do. Um, they'll go and hire well, I think a it VA depends again on the business after. that you're at. And, and even if it's a general manager or an operations manager, mm. someone to help you on that side is, I, I would actually th- agree, um, with the idea, I don't know if it's the exact explicit uh, advice to get a GM, but mm. I think someone to help you grow on the operation side mm. because you can't trust that person to have the same level of responsibility or care for your business as you do. Yeah. Right? You can delegate the task. You can never delegate the responsibility. No, exactly. And I think um, I think the focus there in some respects is to have them empowered to actually hire people or maybe do stuff that actually allows you then free up because they, they build that connection with that person. I mean, I remember when I was running... Um, fairly fairly large business, we had like 23 staff and the general managers or the managers within those kind of divisions, we got them to do most of the hiring. And I know I've, I've had a look at it the last minute, but at the end of the day, they hired people. And I think if they hire people, they built, they, they buy into it. When you mm-hmm. hire them and just pass them off to someone else, you know, I always reckon you you, you, you start because of the boss, you, you start joining a business because of the boss and you leave because of the boss. <laughs> Ultimately. That may be true, yeah. Mm. But no, I think that's a really good um, positioning ways that the operations key, and that's what we're talking about here, the infrastructure of your company, is making sure that you're not limiting your company's growth by your own bandwidth or resources or energy, mm. right? And it's if it's, if it's a general manager or an operations manager, whoever, help having them help you build out that side of the business because it's a key component, a key part of the business for things to work as you want them to simultaneously as you're working and growing the business, developing strategic relationships or in expanding upon the impact that you're making. Mm. So um, I think we've had discussions about this before about like using different tools and stuff to kind of keep track of things. So I think there's obviously there's a, a lot of things that they need to kind of focus on here. Like if they're going to start documenting what they do in their business, I'm keeping a finger on the pulse. And I think we, you also talked about dashboards and stuff before. What, what do you think is the best kind of way to go about that? But let's say you've got nothing now or you've got a, a crazy system that's not really working for you. <laughs> what, what, should, what should action should you really take to get that from, you know, from a point where it actually works for you? I think it's looking at, back to the principles, the key components of every business. Mm-hmm. And every business of the world can be broken down into three different departments, your operations, your marketing, and your product or service delivery. Now, when you're doing those and breaking down the business, from there, you can start looking at what are the key actions and habits that need to happen to make my business function under those three departments, right? And we still have principles there, you know, finance, HR, management, leadership, lead generation, lead conversion, branding, 
uh, client. So kind of break it into chunks, like small. Break it into process. chunks. Yeah. Once you break the company into chunks, then from there you want to look, what are the things that need to measure in order to sustain the health of this? Let's say it's lead generation. Well, what are my channels for lead generation? And then how do I measure each channel effectively? Mm. Each department will have different dashboards, but it doesn't matter which tools you use. You know, we can get to the tools later. It's knowing what to measure. Mm. Mm. And I think that's the danger is that, you know, you, some people go too complex, right? They end up with something they can't handle when the reality is that they should start off with the basics. I mean, I, I think most people wouldn't even know what, the, you know, necessarily what, how much a customer costs you, right? That's probably the most important thing to know, how much it costs mm. to get a customer. And, and you've got to track a lot of things to find that out, right? You have to track from the financials, P&L statements, from your marketing expense, the time you invest in, in uh, networking or relationship building events, et cetera. So once you have at least a qual- uh, quantitative amount of how much it costs you, then mm-hmm. you want to start be looking at two further metrics that will help you and empower you developing a strategy for the short term and the long term. You know, your average order value per customer and how you can increase that at the point of transaction or in your customer lifetime value. And that's how you develop a longer-term strategy. But of course, you need to have uh, your pulse, your hand, your finger on the pulse of the business. I always say that for entrepreneurs, your eyes need to be at the horizon, mm-hmm. looking at the goals, looking at the future, looking at the vision, at the strategy, and your finger, fingers need to be on the pulse of the business. Your fingers aren't on the pulse of the business and your, your eyes are just on the horizon. You're daydreaming. Mm. Yeah, true. <laughs> <laughs> and the other thing too, I think um, you got to remember is that ultimately you're driving the ship, right? So if, you, if you're not going where you're going, then, you know, the staff aren't going to get you there. They're just going to keep rowing that boat. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it could be, you could be, be going like circles. a captain, <laughs> captain at the helm looking at, like, I don't know, the next island, but the ship can suddenly be sink, sinking and you're not even noticing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, denial. <laughs> I, come across <laughs> that. I suppose you come across that too, really. It's like they, they think they know, but they don't necessarily know. Like when you actually Yeah, and it's, sometimes, it's not even intentional. It's like uh, you've, when you don't know what you don't know or you don't know how to track, again, yeah. thinking that it's too complex, thinking that it's too difficult. Well, it just takes a little bit of effort, but the payoff is 10 to 20x the amount of effort. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think, um, and I think financials and that sort of stuff. I see. I talk to a lot of entrepreneurs who are not very good with the financial side of it, so they don't. They let a bookkeeper run it, and mm-hmm. a lot of times they don't get their financial stuff until maybe a year later. Um, and so, Which because accounts are in the past, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah, you know, and so you're not really getting live numbers, and you're not really focusing on what's important. I think that sort of financial education is a good thing to focus on. I think if, you, if you're getting started, you need to understand what this stuff means, not just think, oh, someone else is going to do it. I'll, you know, they'll tell me if there's a problem because they might tell you too late. No, exactly. And it's, that's the science part, the mathematical part of business. Business is an art and a science. Mm. Once you understand the art and you understand what you're doing, the offers, the, your marketing, the brand, the whole art piece, right? the way that you do business, once you go down to the mathematical side, it's just numbers and businesses comes down to just being the numbers game at that point. The more you can master the numbers and you have a pretty good grasp on the art, the more success and momentum you'll have. And it's interesting, I think at the end of the day, this stuff is philosophical side of point is, is that the world is runs on math, right? Everything's a number. <laughs> and so I think um, people sort of like try to avoid it. I was bad at maths at school, but at the end of the day, you know, everything is a num is, is based on basic math. So it, it makes That's sense. It's the key thing, basic, basic math, not uh, not difficult algorithmic. No. <laughs> yeah. Zeros and ones, right? <laughs> no, just zeros and ones, just basic math that you can do. 
Mm. So what do you think the, they should be, if, if someone said tomorrow, okay, what, do I should, what sort of numbers or what sort of um, dashboard figures should I, you know, look at? What sort of, I guess, key metrics should I put in place, at least to start with? Yeah. So I think key dashboards, again, it goes down by the department of your company. Mm -hmm. But if I was working with you one-on-one -on -one right now, I'd like to know, this is off the top, I want to know your financial dashboards, mm -hmm. profit and loss statements, customer lifetime value, average order value, cost to acquire a customer. I want to look at your sales and marketing dashboards. You know, what are your highest leverage sales channels? Uh, who are your highest uh, paying customers? What are your highest uh, revenue-driven services or products? And are your efforts, resources, R&D in line with those high value activities and customers, mm. right? We also want to look at project management or initiative dashboards. Could you tell me right now at any given moment within three to five minutes, let's say, for example, what your marketing team is working on right now and what the deadlines are to reach those. If you can't do that in less than five minutes, then we need to have a dashboard in place where you can have a pulse mm. of every role every action in the company. You don't have to know the answers all at once, but you at least need to know where to look. Mm. Yeah, and I think that's it, it, that's actually figuring out the, and I think getting some historics behind it then, obviously. So you have a look at the numbers today and then look at the numbers in, I don't know, two months' time. You, you want to be able to see those numbers changing the way that you want them to. I mean, there's one thing we used to do was interesting in business. We'd, we'd actually survey the customers, get them to give us a rating out of 10. Mm -hmm. And then, and then six months later, do it again, and do the same thing with staff too. Mm -hmm. And it was interesting because what would happen is you could see that number going up or down, and simply by just measuring something, um, even though it was a very vague number, if you like, because people give you a rating out of ten. I mean, it's just a, you know random sometimes. Mm -hmm. But the reality was is that you started watching a number, it changes and improves usually. That's what I always found. If you started to track your marketing efforts, and we used to do that in another business, I used to do a lot of marketing. For, for my own business. I used to have marketing sheets every time we ran a marketing campaign, we track the results. No one usually does that. Um, and so what happens is you look back at them and say, oh, well, how, how's it going overall? Then suddenly you're measuring it and then suddenly it moves up by default, almost by accident, if you think. You know, I could, it's bizarre. Like it doesn't have to do anything necessarily. You just have to start measuring it. Yeah, typically when you start measuring, you have more awareness of what you're mm -hmm. doing. And when you have more awareness, then you have more emphasis like, well, I want this to work. Let mm. me throw some resources over here. Let me get this idea going. And the more that you iterate, the more that you do that multiplied over time. Mm. That's, and it doesn't have to be like eight hours a day on that one specific thing. It could be maybe an hour a week. That multiplied by 52 weeks in a year, multiplied by three to five years. Now you have momentum. Yeah, and I, mean, I remember when I was um, doing a lot of, like I was doing, I was running a computer business. So we'd go out and site, do a lot of work. And... And I guess with computers in some respect in the early days too, you kind of felt sorry for people. <laughs> like, you'd go, what mess have you got yourself into now? And so you'd cut the cost back. You'd go, oh, well, I was only here for, I here for two hours. I'll be here for one. And we had staff doing that too. And, and it's the biggest thing that you can lose in your business is the ratio of time spent to time charged. Mm -hmm. So when I first started measuring, I didn't really know what the number was. I realized that we found out it was 60%. So 60% of my time was only being billed, not... And I said, this has to be a lot better than that. It has to be at least 80%. What do mm -hmm. I need to do to do that? And so we just slowly increased the time. So if we were going to you know, take an hour off, we'd take half an hour off instead. Um, you know, we started making and made sure that the staff were linked to some sort of you know, income-related commission or whatever based on the hours they build. Mm. And within a year, we went up by 20, it was 86%, 90% sometimes. 
Oh, and that wow. represented something like, I think, $50,000 a year, just in that small business of two people. Just that small change. Yeah, that small little small change, right? But you don't track it. So we never really tracked it properly. So we then started bringing timesheets. So they didn't hand in the timesheets for the billing statement. We couldn't bill a customer for starters. And this is all you know, non-digital age when you really have mobiles or anything, really. Mm-hmm. And so you had to bring this piece of paper and you'd say, here's a billing sheet here, build them. And here's my summary sheet for the month. And as soon as you started tracking that, and made it part of the system, not just, oh, you need to do this piece of paper where, oh, I don't really need to do it. Or, you know, well, you won't get paid if you don't do it. Um, suddenly they do it, right? Yeah. <laughs> and I think that was just a massive change. And, and I fell off the wagon again, right? And, and probably about two years ago, I fell off the wagon again and stopped tracking time properly. Realized <laughs> that a client had cost us $80,000. No. Because we actually did all this free work because we really weren't tracking it properly. And so when I linked the, the hours that the, the staff bill against this client and the time that I spent on it and then re-gigged it a bit and had a conversation with us, I said, by the way, you're now, in, you know, you technically owe us $80,000, um, but we're not going to charge you. We're going to wipe it off because it's our fault, right? We can't really turn around and suddenly say to you, oh, you know, you owe us money. And so we said, no, but starting tomorrow, though, things are changing. And in that next year, we probably got 80 grand more. Wow. Because we actually just changed that one thing and that was tracking the time. So I think it's really easy to fall off the wagon and also not value your own time too, right? Particularly in your services business where you're perhaps doing some of the work anyway and you mm-hmm. don't track your own time. I think time yeah, is Yeah, and you're going back to the simple principles. Like this mm-hmm. is, we're not tracking quantum related. We're just tracking time. It's pretty simple tracking. stuff, right? Pretty simple <laughs> Everybody stuff, can read really a clock. <laughs> subtle can be to be overlooked. Yeah. And I think that's the biggest thing. If you're in a if you're in a product based business, it's a different. There's a different thing about that, and different way of looking at it. But when you're in a service based business where you're charging for time, I find that most people don't track time properly. And I think if you're not doing that in your own business today, you should go do it. <laughs> that's true. How how would you recommend tracking time properly, though? So it depends on what happens here. So if you've got a if you're on your own. Um, obviously, you need to treat yourself like an employee and you have to make sure that you're going to track your time. And, and we've, got, we've got a ticketing system we actually log the time against. So mm-hmm. in some way of doing it in some digital form, I, don't, I think doing it manually is great, but if you're not, you don't want to be carrying pieces of paper around anymore, right? So yeah. there's plenty of apps and stuff on the market where you can track your time. Make sure the client sees that. Make sure it's transparent, right? So make sure that you're billing the time. And then from that point, start setting a metric. So, tra- you know, like track it for a little while, maybe a month, and then go, well, what's the percentage there? What, how much time am I spending? How much time am I actually billing? Hmm. And then and improve it from there. It's pretty simple. Yeah. But I think what happens is um, you can't just suddenly change direction. You've got to think about it then. You've got to say, well, how can I then improve this without, um, you know, basically, you know, I'll double my prices tomorrow. Well, you're going to lose all your clients possibly, right? <laughs> so you've got to be careful how you do that. And I think that's the danger is, but it creates a conversation in your head. If it's staff-based, it's easy because with my staff, what I do is I basically um, say, well, we pay you based on the time you bill. So at the end of the day, um, you know, you can, if you bill 10 hours, we're going to bill the client 10 hours. So you'll get paid 10 hours and bill the client 10 hours. It's easy. Mm -hmm. When you do it yourself, it's so much easier to sort of like just let yourself off the hook. (laughs) That's very true. And that's, again, going back to like the business model or the, the way that you structure if you bill by hours. But even yeah. just measuring time, even if you're doing like a flat retainer on service-based businesses, it's still important to measure what's the pulse of my company. Are they being as efficient as possible? Is something that should take two hours, taking them five? Mm. If so, why? 
Mm. And we always have to look at ourselves like as leaders that that's that's our fault, either lack of training or lack of resources or lack of procedures for them to be as efficient as we want. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, the, the ability to kind of, for about, for me, what the big time sh- shift was me was looking at what your time is worth, right? So mm-hmm. a lot of people, um, like we'll have a flat hourly rate in our business, which typically what a service-based business probably has, right? A flat hourly rate. But in some cases, it's more it's like different people should be valued at different rates because they're better at whatever they do. They're more professional about it. They have more experience, whatever the case may be. They're qualified. Mm-hmm. And so what we did is we decided to create a point system rather than, mm-hmm. a, than a number system, if you like. So if, if a web designer works on, um, you know, on a project, it's one point, right? If a developer works on it, it's three points. If I work on it, it's six points. And what I was finding then was that the client then made their own decision about what they wanted to spend their money on hmm. so they could then say all right well i don't want you working on that <laughs> i'm spending six points on it um can someone else do that all right so they're actually helping you with your own business because you're not if i don't if i'm doing it it's probably a waste of my time in some cases because someone else could have easily done that um and if it's procedurized and as you say to write a procedure have someone else do it I think that's what I typically do. I'll I'll write, I'll do something, work out how to do it, and then write it up and say, hey, okay, now I'm going to train you on it, and then pass it off, get rid of it, <laughs> right? And the quality would still be either act as good or in close enough that the client won't even notice that it was you or someone else. Yeah, and 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 actually, it's interesting, and it's probably a thing that I probably wouldn't tell, necessarily say in public, but sometimes when you, people say, well, but I can't get my clients to follow this process, right? I need them to do it. I said, well, you need to fake it then. So what I do is if you have a system behind the system, like we have a ticketing system, sometimes I can go and do the work and the client will even know I did it. They hmm. think the, client, the staff member did it. Um, <laughs> and so you can actually get them into a point where they get used to it. So I think client training is very important. Is, is oh, yeah. They need to help you as well. Like I think what people forget is that if you can get your clients to help you as well <laughs> rather than hinder you, then you've got a much better chance of making you know, it's the same more profits because then they're actually helping your business because they want you to succeed, generally speaking, aren't they? Oh, yeah, no, generally it's, it's always a positive interaction. It's the relationships yeah. that count. And if, if you win, they win. And if they win, you win. It has to be a win-win. Yeah, yeah. And so I think um, in some respects, you know, if you, if you do everything in your business yourself and you're good at everything, I doubt it very much. I'm not. Um, but, and I bet you're not either. But you try and do this stuff you should never touch. Because you make a mess of it, right? <laughs> and, and and I've got web designs one of mine. Like I I quite I can figure out what it should look like and know how it should look, but when I get into the HTML, all that stuff, I go, oh, I just couldn't be bothered. And and I get someone else to do it because I know that it's outside the wheelhouse I want to deal in, and it's not worth my time really to sit there and plug away with fonts and things. And so exactly, I think that's and it's the, the being yeah. self-aware, like you mentioned earlier too. Yeah. And value yourself. So I think if you start valuing yourself as your own in your own business as an employee, treat yourself as an employee in that process. And would you pay yourself to do that? <laughs> uh, most people say no. <laughs> I wouldn't pay myself to do that. Um, bookkeeping is the one that I drove me insane. I used to like doing it um, for some reason. I don't know why. Um, probably because I had more staff doing stuff. But I used to like do my own home accounts and stuff like that as well. But now I, don't, I hate it. And the first thing I'll try and get away from, I'll, I'll get someone else to do it. And I'll train them up and, and get rid of the job. I used to like doing it. Just have you help you there. Hey? And just have them help you there. Yeah. And, and that way it's sort of like, in some respects, I think too, it's like in the back of your head, right? You're thinking, oh, I should do this, I should do that. And you don't do it. And the reality, all you really need to do is get someone engaged to go and do it for you and then, you know, let them handle it. 
Um, exactly. And the trust and the training. It's, it's yeah. all it's all the process, but still. It's so um, what would you say, like, in some, you know, like some actions that, you know, people should, or CEOs or business people should do right now to get best impact? So, you know, I think we talked about a few things on, on getting impact. So what do you think they should go do right now, if you like? You know, what's the key things they should go and play with? Well, I think the key things that you can actually implement, let's say if you're listening to this right now, um, let's give you three action items and they're all small mm-hmm. and you can definitely take action on them. So it's not going to be three enormous things. Okay. The big, little things, things help, think, but little things make big things, right? <laughs> yeah. I think three things that you can really focus on. So uh, we talk about in chapter six is the CEO 8020s. Mm-hmm. So I'd like for you as the listener, if you're the a manager or your you run your own business, <laughs> um, I'd like for you to write down what you did yesterday mm-hmm. and list out every action item. From that action item, I want you to be able to identify which of those actions were actually what um, 80-20s, meaning 20% of the efforts that produce 80% of the results. Mm. It's, it's never really 80-20, right? But it can be, it's going to Pareto's principle. Mm. So out of those actions that you did yesterday, again, this is stuff that already happened. This is stuff that you can do. And then your output is, what are the action items that move the needle the most significant that day? Typically, if you did, let's say, 15 things in a day, only two or three are going to be 80-20, like real needle, needle movers in the areas of your business. Mm-hmm. The rest, what I want you to do is identify what are the action items that I did for that specific day, like if a client called me or I responded to an email or if I you know, um, put out this fire over here. So uh, those, those buckets, I want you to call today. Those action items are today actions. Then the third if you had this, some, some don't, is I wanted you to be able to have planning and studying. Mm-hmm. I want you to be able to sharpen the sword as well as plan for tomorrow or next week. And that incorporated in every single day. Mm-hmm. So when you see your day, you'll have all these action items to do's. I just want you to reorganize the day and have the 80-20s at the very top of your day. So when you start the day, you don't, you don't put out the fires. You go make fire. Mm. <laughs> Push fire. Light the fires on someone else. <laughs> yeah, you put you light the fire in your audience. You light the fire in your clients. You make things happen, and then you take care of the reactive, most proactive, and then reactive. Mm. And then at the end of the day, towards the end or middle, whatever after lunch, you're planning, you're studying, you're sharpening your sword, you're uh, educating yourself on the new trend and the new uh, marketplace, whatever's happening with your clients, and you're planning for tomorrow or next week or an idea that you have. Mm-hmm. that can be easily implemented day one. And I think the two other action items just after that is, you know, take a look at what are the areas in your business that you need to measure. And you can write this down. What are some of the things that you wish you knew or that you'd like more clarity on? Right? And that's an easy one. And then the third after that, it's when you look at the action items that you need to do, your 80-20s, the things you want more clarity on, then you're going to be looking at are the actions that we're taking in general in line to the goals we want to hit? To the resources that I'm investing, the time, the people, is everything aligned or are we focused on things that are low leverage and not really helping us move forward? Mm. So the first action item, reflect on your day. Second action item, what do you want to measure? Third action item, reflect, is everything in sync for the full force impact that I want to make or am I not focused always on 80-20s and how mm. can I change that? 
And I think it's the noisy ones that, you know, like the the 80 80 percent of your client base that that represents twenty percent of your revenue. They're the ones, the noisiest ones. I find the best clients are the ones you hardly hear from. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like they they already know that you're doing it, and that it's not a big issue. But when some of the 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 you know the low sort of revenue side, it'll usually where they make the most noise. And I think that's that's the danger, isn't it? You get focused on the people making the most noise, but it's not necessarily the people that are actually paying the bills. That's very true. And again, it's a balance. It's a balance in your industry, balance in your clientele, your offer. And the balance of how you've trained your clients too, right? You know, the training mm. is a key component. Yeah, and and I mean, I think about two years ago, we doubled our prices and halved our client base. <laughs> um, and that halved our, it more than halved our stress. <laughs> but that's a different, it's a different approach, right? And how with less stress, people undermine this, mm. is when you have less stress and you're more happier, you have more time, you can either fall into the trap of saying, I need to fill my calendar with stuff so I can yeah, be typically. busy. Mm. Or you feel guilty, like how can I be you know, successful and work four hours a day? Mm. Not to say that you have to work four hours a day, but it's just that, that idea like you going out playing golf or playing squash or whatever, and yep. your team is working, but then you'd feel guilty. Like I'm walking out of the office, my team's working. Mm. You feel guilty. No, I need to be doing a lot of work. Well, actually... I think we fall into that trap because what happens when you're happier, you get to think clear, yep. you get more inspiration, you get to focus on other things that you wouldn't if you were under a state of stress or high cortisol levels. And when you do that, if you have an idea or an inspiration that you can therefore apply, because mm-hmm. let's say for in this instance, you're not working you know, 12 hour days every single day, you can actually apply good ideas how much more could that benefit the bottom line and how much more can that benefit the team? Hmm. Right? And I think I used to, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? Like I, I found that I booked time with myself. So I actually marked off my calendar and, and said, okay, these times is, is, is non-negotiable in terms of client time. They can't have that time. Mm-hmm. Uh, decided that weekends weren't client weekend. Like I never worked for client on a weekend. Yeah. Unless it was urgent and something went bad. But mostly, you know, if you're working a business and there's no such thing as an emergency, you're okay. Um, yeah. and I Unless think you're then, on fire or the business is on fire, then yeah, yeah. <laughs> if things are on fire, you better go and put the fire out. But most of the time, it shouldn't be the case. And I think that's the you know a, a wise man once told me quite a long time ago, and I still to this day kind of figure it out sometimes. Whenever I get into a situation where I'm suddenly working seventy-hour weeks, is ask the question: How could I do less and make more money? How could I be lazier and make more money? <laughs> right. Because you can be, you can go the other way and make more money. The other way, how can I work harder and longer and and more activity and more stuff? Is it's got an end point. It's going to either cost you something, and and usually it's your life, your, your health, or your or your lifestyle. One of the two is going to cost you. Yeah, because we're finite. Mm. We're fi- I mean, matter is finite. So yeah, yeah, time's finite, right? <laughs> um, and the weird, weird thing about now, lately, I think as you get older, the world spins faster. Because <laughs> um, suddenly I see him wake up Monday morning, and then it's Friday. <laughs> so I wonder what happened the other three days of the week. <laughs> Just going how fast you're going. Yeah, and I think that's the thing is if you enjoy what you do, obviously the week goes too fast, right? So um, let's just talk a little bit about your book when we wrap up. Um, at the moment, there's a special offer um, to to sort of launch your relaunch your book. Essentially, we're doing a bestseller campaign, um, and obviously there's a special price for that book. Um, so we'll put the links up in terms of how you get it, but um, just tell us, you know, how you normally would go and get your book if, uh, if they want to engage with you and have a check out what you do. 
Yeah, just the website at dogoodwork.io. That's dogoodwork.io. You'll be able to connect, get yeah. the book, uh, connect on any social platform, and we'll be we'll be on there. Because you do also do a podcast as well on understanding from memory. Correct. <laughs> yeah, so um, should check out his podcast as well. So I really appreciate your time today. It's like um, you, you know, I think we're kindred spirits a little bit. We <laughs> a few long chats and stuff. So <laughs> I think we kind of think at the same level. So it's really cool to come across someone that kind of thinks the same way as you do, because um, it, it creates some great and great sort of conversation. So I really love you, love for you to come come along, and maybe we'll do another one sometime soon. Absolutely, John. Thank you for having me. Great, excellent. Thanks, mate.